Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. G'day. Welcome to the City Reach Family of Churches YouTube channel. You know, we know that uh, online resources are no substitute for, you know, live preaching in your own local church. But we pray that these messages will really bless you spiritually. If you want to find out more about City Reach and our churches, you can go to cityreach.com.au. Now we hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Graham, and I'm also one of the pastors here at City Reach. Uh, just isn't that a beautiful service this morning, right? Really, where we witness. The, the actually glory of Christ at work in our lives. Um, if you're here with us for the first time, we are in the middle of a series uh, called Six Marks of a Healthy Church. And Ecclesia uh, is not someone's name. It just means uh, church, right? The, a, a church in the New Testament. And we've been looking at some of the marks. The first mark we looked at was that we are a family that believes in grace, we are we move ourselves around the culture of grace. The second mark we looked at is that we are a people that renew our minds. We acknowledge that we are constantly being discipled by something, but we choose as a community to have our minds renewed in the Word of God. Uh, the third mark we looked at was that as as a family, as a church family. All the members serve one another out of reverence for Christ. And last week, we learned what it means to live passionately. God has put stuff in us and how we work that out and we live out in the church. And today, we are looking at what it means to be a peacemaker. Now, there was a a Japanese restaurant that recently was looking for a new employee They were a famous restaurant, soba noodle shop. So they put this ad in the newspaper, and it said this. It said, work at a beloved, long-standing, 120-year-old restaurant. And they received zero applications. So they thought, that's not working. Let's try something else. The second ad they put out said this. Work at a popular restaurant that attracts many customers from far away. Again, they received zero applications. So they tried again, and this is what they said. Work at a place where you don't have to speak to anyone all day. And they received 50 applications. And it's kind of a little bit like me, right? When we have conflict, there's this desire inside of us to run away. I just want to go to a place where I don't have to speak to anyone all day but we don't get let off that easy because Christ calls us to be peacemakers. So here's a question for all of us. Who here has had conflict with another person? Would you raise your hands? Okay, let's take that a step further. Who here has had conflict with another person in the church? All right. So conflict affects us all. And for those of you who didn't put your hand up the second time, your time will come. Your time will come. So conflict 
is not a question of if, but more a question of when. And when it happens, we need to say, as a family, as a church family, how do we deal with this in the church and as Christ followers? You see, Jesus doesn't just leave us hanging. He doesn't just say, okay, go and love one another. He actually says, no, you need to be peacemakers within the church. But I want you to notice he never calls us to be a peacekeeper. There's a big difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper is someone who tries to avoid conflict. They withdraw from conflict uh, in order to keep the peace, but really later down the line they find themselves in more conflict. Uh, It's kind of like we want to sweep it under the carpet And we don't realize that under the carpet, it grows and grows and grows. And later when it comes out, it's more ugly than when we originally had it. Uh, For me, my parents were divorced when I was very young. And my sister and I lived with my mom. And uh, she was single parent, a nurse. She often would have a second job to try and make ends meet. And my dad, who lived in a different city, he was doing quite well. And my sister and I would see him about once or twice a year. And when we would go up, he would take us to restaurants. We would go on holiday. He would buy us these expensive gifts. And then we would come back and we would see my mom again. And we would proceed to tell her about the wonderful time that we had, the expensive gifts that we had gotten, and the amazing restaurants that we had eaten in. Now, in hindsight, I realized that this hurt my mom, but she responded quite negatively, which then in turn made my father quite negative. And what it led my sister and I to do is to become peacekeepers. We learned we're just going to say nothing in order to keep the peace. But you know what? It didn't make the conflict go away. It just made it appear in other formats and come out at other times. So we're called to be peacemakers. Now, a peacemaker is someone who realizes life is going to involve conflict. But the way we deal with conflict is through a love offensive. I love that, right? A love offensive, right? It's like an L-O. You know how young people text on their phone? And they go, LOL and all that kind of stuff. Well, I wish we would kind of make this a new one. We are going on an LO this morning. Hashtag love offensive. All right. So before that, are you ready for a love offensive? Okay, good. So in the passage today, it tells us four attitudes of a peacemaker. And what we begin with, even before we take that first step towards conflict, we need to stop and we need to check our hearts and we need to check our attitudes before we even begin addressing the conflict. And the first attitude that we have of a peacemaker is one of a gracious mindset. Uh, I was recently teaching the Solid Rock kids, and I asked them, what's the difference between grace and mercy? See, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You deserve punishment, but you don't get it. You get mercy. 
But grace, grace is getting what you don't deserve. In fact, the word grace means unmerited favor. You get this unmerited favor which you don't deserve. This is what it says in verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You know, when someone has wronged us, the natural fleshly reaction is to become defensive or want to punch back. And if you don't believe me, you just need to take a walk to the local children's playground and watch. And you will see one child who is persecuted, and they usually respond wanting to punch back. Now, what Jesus says here is it's not a case about not just withholding your punches. It goes way beyond that. It goes with giving grace. Giving grace. You know, and the reason and the motivation behind that is to understand that we have all received grace. We've all received unmerited favor and therefore we are able to give unmerited favor. The second attitude of a peacemaker is to be empathetic. This is what it says, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. What Paul is saying here is we need to feel what the other person might be feeling. We need to put ourselves in their shoes. If they are in this conflict, how might they be feeling? How might they want to react in this situation? In other words, it's about taking eyes off yourself and putting it on others. As Paul said in Philippians elsewhere, he said, put others' interests above your own. Consider how they might be feeling. Consider how they might be reacting before yourself. The third attitude of a peacemaker is to be humble. Be humble. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lonely. Never, never, be wise in your own sight. Um, when I'm wrong, when I have conflict, I most times think I'm right, they're wrong, right? And I'm going to show you you're wrong. And I'm going to punish you because you're wrong. And this can happen between husbands and wives, can happen between best friends. And often when conflict comes up, we will shut them off. We refuse to speak to them. We don't even entertain their presence. It's called stonewalling. We just don't acknowledge them. We don't respond to them. That is what you are really saying to another person is you are not worthy of me. You are not worthy of my conversation. You are not worthy of my presence. And that is pride. That's pride. Often it's used as a weapon 
intended to harm. And I would like to say, if any of you have had that done to you or you yourself have used that as a strategy to deal with conflict, be humble. Be humble. And here's another question. When you do do that, how's that working for you? Does it bring peace? Does it bring reconciliation? You see, that's what it means to be wise in your own eyes. You're proud. You're proud of the way you're going to deal with the situation. And what the passage is telling us here is use God's wisdom. Use God's wisdom. He was humble. Be humble as you approach conflict. And the fourth attitude of a peacemaker is be honorable. Verse 17 says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Consider your church community. Consider your church family. This conflict that I'm having, how is that going to affect my church family? You see, no conflict that you have inside the church is just between you and the affected party. It affects everyone, directly or indirectly. See, Paul says the church is a body. It is a body. And when the ear and the eye are not getting along, the whole body feels it. The whole body feels it. So we ask ourselves this question, where there is conflict between us, we go, depending on how I handle this situation, how is that going to affect my church family? Will it be an honorable reaction? And behind that is even a bigger question. And the bigger question is, how will my actions and responses in conflict affect the reputation of Christ? How will it affect his reputation? So even before we take the first step to addressing conflict, we stop and we look at our hearts and we say, Lord, examine me. Examine me. Before I do anything here, I want to make sure that I'm going to approach this conflict, that I want to know that I'm going to approach this with a gracious mindset, that I'm prepared to give grace, that I will be, I will approach this with empathy. I will try and see it from their perspective. The third step is just, am I humble, Lord? Am I humble or am I responding in pride? The last one is, am I going to do this taking in mind the whole church, the whole church family? Will it be honorable the way I'm going to react? When we've got that right, when our hearts are right, then is the first time we take our first steps as a peacemaker. We now move into action. And this is what Paul says in verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Did you notice the first two words there? If possible. 
Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes your attempts to resolve conflict in a God-honoring way are not going to work. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't do it. What depends upon you is your attempt to live peaceably with all. That's your responsibility. All right, so are we ready? Peacemakers, first step. First step towards action as a peacemaker is glorify God. To glorify God. You see, in the church, we are called to respond to conflict in a remarkably different way to the world. And we do that by looking at conflict and saying, Lord, this provides an opportunity. This provides an opportunity to glorify you. It's an opportunity to bring you praise and honor by showing everyone involved who you are, what you're like, and what you're doing. It's also an opportunity. We look at it, Lord, this is an opportunity to serve others. And it's an opportunity to grow to be Christ-like. You know, if you are at that stage where you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm actually a pretty patient person, or I'm a, I'm a pretty humble person, all you need to do is have conflict walk into your life. And it'll test that. It'll test that. And what you do in that moment is say, Lord, this is a moment to grow. This is a moment where I rely on your wisdom, your way. You're in the ministry of reconciliation, and I want to be part of that. The best way to glorify God in the moment of conflict is to trust him. Trust him. Right? Not relying on your own ideas or your own wisdom how to do this, but to trust Him. The second way we glorify God is to obey Him. You know, it's relatively easy to obey God when it's quite a simple thing. But when it's difficult and we choose to obey, even when it's something complete opposite of what we really feel like doing, that demonstrates to people how much we value and love Him. And the third way to glorify God is acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him. You know, God will give you grace in a moment of conflict if you ask Him. He will give you wisdom in conflict if you ask Him. And when He does, and when He provides unusual ways to solve conflict, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him. Well, you know, people will look at you and they'll say, wow, that was pretty unique how you did that. And you say, yes, it was the Lord's wisdom that he gave me. At the end of the day, in conflict, someone will get the glory. And it's either going to be your ego or your pride, or it's going to be God's glory. All right, second step as a peacemaker. And this one is going to hurt. Get the log out of your own eye. Get the log out of your own eye. Now, if anyone thinks that Jesus wasn't funny and he didn't have a sense of humor, has not read this verse. Right? Jesus is saying, like, it's kind of like if your brother has a speck in his eye and you have this massive log in your own eye, you are not going to help him. 
You've got to pull this log out of your own eye first. Jesus is painting this ridiculous picture of a guy walking around with this massive log in his eye, and he's trying to pull out a speck of someone else. Jesus is pretty funny. Um, so when I told my wife this week, I said, uh, I'm preaching on conflict resolution. She said, don't talk about us. So uh, I'm not going to talk about us. I'm going to talk about the dishwasher. Now, uh, it's, it's crazy, right? With Irina and I, it's like the simplest little things are, are usually the source of our conflict. And like, we will be like, what, what were we arguing about originally? But the dishwasher, right? The dishwasher is this amazing thing. We never had a dishwasher before we came to Australia. I mean, this thing washes your dishes. It's amazing, right? But we have a slight difference of opinion of how the dishwasher might be packed or unpacked, what goes into the dishwasher, how full it needs to be before it is run. Uh, and occasionally, when it's pointed out to me that I might have packed the dishwasher in an incorrect way, at that point, I choose to respond by pointing out all Irina's kitchen sins in precise detail. Honey, but you don't fill the kettle. You don't replace the ice cube trays. And I do this with a lot of detail and a lot of persistence until she really is forced to admit that she's actually far worse than I am. And really, what is happening is I need to stop and take the log out of my own eye. I don't know if this happens to you, but let's just say on Monday, you have this moment of conflict with someone. And you, in that moment, you're like, oh, I can't believe they did that. They said that thing. And then by Wednesday, you start, you're stewing on it, and you're like, oh, they are really bad. They might be evil. By Friday, they are a monster. They're an absolute monster. By Sunday, they are a serial killer in your mind. And we allow this conflict to grow and our opinion of the person to grow and grow, but we don't see the log in our own eye. And Jesus says, pull the log out of your own eye. And that really only happens when we stop and we view conflict through the gospel. We view how tenderly and gently Jesus deals with me. How he gently corrects us, gently rebukes us. So instead of blaming others for conflict, we take responsibility for our own sins. And we ask the Lord, Lord, what are my attitudes? What are my habits? What are my responses that has led to this conflict? And then we're ready for step number three. And step number three is this, gently restore. So I want to submit to you guys a little bit of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs tells us this. It says, don't sweat the small stuff. Proverbs puts it a little bit more eloquently and says, it is the glory of one to overlook an offense. Right? We can be so put out by perceived minor offenses, right? So worked up by a very small thing. 
right? She said, my dress was very red. I wonder what she meant by that. Why did she say that about my dress? Have you seen her shoes? Very small thing. Or maybe someone says at community group, uh, could you maybe give someone else a turn to speak? It's never been said to me, by the way. <laughs> so, But these very small offenses, just don't sweat it, guys. Don't take ourselves so seriously and be so sensitive. It's the glory to overlook a small offense. But... There is genuine conflict. There is conflict that needs to be addressed. And that's when we are called to gently restore. Gently restore. It's an active thing. Often in conflict, what we tend to do in our minds is we go like, you know what? They're about 70% to blame for this conflict, and I'm about 30% to blame. So really, they need to come and say sorry to me. They need to approach and kind of restore things with me because I'm not really as much to blame as they are. You know what blows that out the water? Is Romans 5 verse 8. This is what it says. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were 100% at fault, 100% guilty, 100% to blame. Christ came to us. He took the initiative. He came to us. So we don't pretend that conflict doesn't exist. And we don't use it to talk about others behind their back. We don't dress it up in a prayer request. We take steps to go on a love offensive. And we gently go. Guys, and here's the thing about the church. The church is a family. And there might be moments where you're finding it very difficult to sort out this conflict privately. Grab someone. Go and get someone and say, hey, could you help us solve this thing in a God-honoring, biblical way? The fourth action of a peacemaker. Go and be restored. Be restored. Uh, you know, one of the things is when there's conflict and a breakdown in a relationship, we can go and we can make peace, right? Oh, we're all good. Okay, we're all good. But then our very next steps are to slowly withdraw. Slowly step back. You know, that's not peacemaking. That's peace faking. You see, and, and when that kind of conflict or that perceived conflict persists, what we tend to do is like, mm, you know what, I'm going to look out for myself. I'm going to withdraw a little bit. I don't want to get involved with that person again. Maybe I'll, I have to go and look for a new church now. Or maybe I need to go and work in a Japanese restaurant and not speak to anyone ever again. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, don't let relationships wither. Be active. Pursue genuine peace. Guys, remember that Jesus died to make us a family, to bring peace and unity. 
You know, there's, uh, there was a study on friendship done in one of the Ivy League universities in the States. And what they found was that friendship goes through different levels, right? You meet each other, you're kind of getting to know each other, and then slowly it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. You spend more time with each other. And then your friendship hits this conflict, this major moment of conflict. And what they found was if that friendship is able to work through this conflict, a surprising result happens is that actually friendship gets stronger and deeper and closer. It's as if you hit this conflict moment and you realize we can get through this. We can be trusted with the worst of each other and we will still be committed to one another. That's what the church should be like. But often we get to that moment of conflict in a relationship and we choose to break the relationship. Maybe Jesus is saying, I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper. Uh, I read a beautiful story this, this week. I loved it. So uh, these two guys, they move into the neighborhood. One guy was there already, John, and Jack moves into the house next to him. And two young guys, first house, and uh, they, they meet each other and they find out they're both believers. They're both Christians. They go to different churches, but they get on really well, right? They're in each other's houses. They're sharing time together. And one day, uh, Jack and John are out in their backyard, and Jack notices that John has cut down this 100-year-old oak tree, which he's not really happy about. And he points out to John, listen, you actually cut down that oak tree, but it's on my property, uh, so just can you not do that next time? And John turns around and says, "Uh, I think you're mistaken. That's mine. That's uh, my bit of property. And Slowly, the conversation got more and more heated about whose property this was. The next day, they didn't go and visit each other. After that, they stopped speaking to each other, stopped acknowledging each other, and pretty soon, it ended up in a lawsuit, the struggle between the two of them. And one day, Jack, in the evening, he's standing out in his backyard, and he's looking over into his neighbor's John's yard, and he says to himself, Lord, like, I don't know what else I could have done. I've tried to resolve this in like a God-honoring way, but it's just not going anywhere. And at that moment, John's lights go out. He lived on a different grid, and the whole section of the neighborhood, the lights go out. And uh, Jack actually thinks to himself, yes, thank you, Lord. But then he he remembers, this thought comes to his mind that uh, John had this big aquarium of tropical fish in his house and he needed all the air filters and stuff to keep the fish going and he suddenly thinks maybe I should get a couple of extension leads and go and offer John some electricity and he's like no that's a dumb idea and he, but then he feels this prompting you got to go you got to go so he goes into his garage he gets these extension leads he puts a whole bunch together it's just enough he knocks on John's door, John comes out, he's holding a, a torch, and he sees uh, Jack standing there with an extension lead in his hand. And he says, uh, I was concerned about your fish. <laughs> and at that moment, the light comes back on. If he had waited another 15 seconds to be obedient to the Lord, he would have missed it. But uh, so, so John stands there quite awkwardly and he goes, um, you know, thanks, doesn't look like I'll need it now. Uh, okay, good night. And anyway, 
Jack like rolls up his extension cords, puts it back in the garage, goes, Lord, what, what was that about? I just, I feel really foolish right now. But the next day, the next day, Jack's standing outside in his front yard and John comes to the gate and he says, hey, Jack, I just wanted to say thank you for what you did last night. Um, you want to come over for coffee? Went over for coffee. Within 20 minutes, they're laughing. A couple of days later, they're best friends. They're spending time in each other's houses again. Relationship restored. Restored, not just fake peace, but real peace. And best friends to this day. Guys, you might listen to this this morning and go, you know what, that sounds great in theory, but you don't know my situation. You don't know the difficult person that I have to deal with. You don't know my wife or my husband. Right? Well, what about Jesus' wife? The church, right? We're called the bride of Christ. If anyone had a reason to complain about his wife, it would be Jesus. Right? But instead, you look at Jesus, what does he do? He came for her. He rescued her. He loves her. He's patient with her. He's committed to her. He's restoring her. Guys, we will never understand what it means to be a peacemaker unless we see it in light of the gospel. You see, we need to see ourselves as dearly loved, adopted children of God, growing in Christ-likeness. But we also need to see our brothers and sisters as dearly loved, adopted children of God who are growing in Christ likeness. You know, one of the major themes and promises of the gospel is that Jesus has forgiven your sins. I find that, that young believers, those who have come to know the Lord, this actually blows their mind far more than the older we tend to get. People who come to know the Lord, they're like, whoa, you mean Jesus has forgiven me of this and this, and I did this really bad thing, and he's forgiven me of that? Yes, he's forgiven you of that. The horrible thing is that the older we get, if we're not careful and we don't watch our hearts, we can be like, yeah, yeah, Jesus has forgiven our sins. That's cool. But it should blow our minds. Our sins have been taken upon that cross, have been nailed there. A penalty has been paid, and we are forgiven. Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Therefore, shouldn't it follow that we are the most forgiving people? You see, Christ is our peacemaker. He came to us. He made peace with us. We need to realize that we were at war with ourselves, we were at war with God, but that he came to us. He initiated, he took the steps and he came to us. He tore down the wall of hostility. And he made peace between us and him and we as believers know 
what joy it means to live in peace with God. How much more so should we be willing to step out and bring peace amongst each other? Guys, we forgive when we remember that we've been forgiven. We are committed to going on a love offensive and resolving conflict when we realize that Jesus went on a love offensive for us. Guys, now, I don't want to make light of conflict and pretend that there aren't deep wounds or deep hurt. It is real. And conflict does come with a cost. But what is the Lord calling you to do? Maybe for some of us, it's time to humble ourselves and to seek out a brother or sister who we have something against, where we don't let fear hold us back. We don't trust in our own pride and our own wisdom and our own righteousness. We trust in Him. That we look again to the cross and we say, Lord, man, you have forgiven me of all this. All this. Lord, let me, let me obey you and be a peacemaker. Teach me what it is to be a peacemaker. Will you stand with me now? Let's worship the one who came for us.